This evening we are looking at the fifth king chronologically. We started from the first king Saul and right now we are in the fifth king Jeroboam. When you ask the question who is Jeroboam in the Bible, the first question we must ask is which one? Because if you notice in the Old Testament there are different people who have the same names. Like even in today's world, there are different people who have the same names and sometimes you know, people uh, describe a person's name, maybe with a surname or maybe they add something to it just to clarify which is the person they are talking about. But in the Old Testament, you have Jeroboam 1, Jeroboam 2. Now, maybe today they don't use that 1 and 2 as much, you know, but in that time, this is what they used. So in the history of the kings, in the Old Testament, we find that there were two kings who were named Jeroboam. And this evening we are looking at Jeroboam 1. And uh, he is mentioned in the book of 1 Kings from chapter 11 through to chapter 14. And God raised up Jeroboam. The reason why is because he was going to bring judgment on Solomon. You know, because of what Solomon did, God had promised David that his line would continue if they continue to walk after God. And when Solomon decided to go astray, worship other gods, God said, okay, because of what I have committed myself to David, two tribes you will have. The rest you know, is going to be taken away from you. That is where the division happened of the northern and the southern kingdom, which is what we learned when we did about Rehoboam. Whereas the Jeroboam II was the son of Jehoash, and he was the 14th king in Israel. And his details we'll find in 2 Kings chapter 14. So many weeks down the line, we will learn about Jeroboam II. But this evening, we are going to look at Jeroboam the first. Now, it's interesting when uh, Rehoboam decided to do his own thing. Before that itself, God had told Solomon that your kingdom is going to be divided. And even when Solomon was there, God has already given a prophecy to Jeroboam about what is going to happen to him? Think for a moment. You know, Solomon is still king. God is passing judgment on Solomon. And God says, hey, this is what my plans are for the future of the nation of Israel. It's going to be a divided kingdom. And so God gives a prophecy concerning Jeroboam. And we find this in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 29 to 31, where it reads, about that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem and Ahijah, the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way, wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into 12 pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, take 10 pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, see. I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you ten tribes. So God tells Jeroboam, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to give you ten tribes. 
two tribes are going to remain with Solomon's line. Now I wonder if you were given that prophecy about your future, how do you respond? How do you react? God had also given a promise to Jeroboam. That was a condition to any promise that God gives us, isn't it? In 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 37 to 38, this is what we read. It says, however, God says, okay, I'm going to give you 10 tribes. However, as for you, I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires. You will be king over Israel if you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands as David my servant did, I will be with you. I will build your dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. What a promise. What a promise. But sad to say, Jeroboam messed up, messed up, messed up, big scale if you were to say. Here is God giving a prophecy about what was going to happen. Here is God also assuring him that I will be with you if all that you have to do is to remain obedient to me. But what did he do? He misused the grace of God. He misused what was promised to him. Now that's a tragic thing in the life of Jeroboam. But we must ask ourselves, even as we study the life of Jeroboam this evening, are we also in that category? Are we in that category where God says, yes, you know, if you believe in me, you know, you are my child. I'm going to make sure that I will be with you till the very end. He gives us a future. He gives us a promise. But we can't presume, we can't misuse, we can't neglect the grace of God and do whatever we want to do and think, hey, after all, God gave me the promise. He said he's going to make sure my kingdom is going to be there. No, no, we can't do that, isn't it? So be careful. Let's not misuse the grace of God upon our lives. God says, yes, I will be with you till the very end. But God also has that condition of we understanding his grace and being willing to stay true to him till the very end. So let's look at you know, the rise and fall of Jeroboam. The rise and fall of Jeroboam. Jeroboam was the first king over the northern tribes when the kingdom divided. When the kingdom divided, he was the first king that was appointed. Now what was his position before he became king before his uh, rise to the kingship. 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 28 tells us, Now Jeroboam was a man of standing or valiant. And when God and when Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the tribes of Joseph. He was Solomon's servant. He was Solomon's servant and he did a good job at his uh, uh, whatever was entrusted to him. That is good, uh, if you were to say, uh, good qualities that, was, that is there in the heart of an individual. 1 Kings 11 also tells us Jeroboam son of Nebat rebelled against the king. He was one of Solomon's officials and Ephraimite from Zerada. His mother was a widow named Zeruah. 
he was basically an individual who was a worker, a hard worker, no doubt. But when he's taken from that hard worker position to the place in which he is made king, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Maybe it got into his head. Maybe when the prophecy was given itself, when he was still a servant to Solomon, he began to eye the kingship and that was his downfall. <laughs> now, what happened during his uh, rebellion in 1 Kings chapter 11 verses 29 to 31, we read about prophet Ahijah who came and gave him this prophecy of taking a cloak, dividing it into 12 pieces you know, and saying 10 pieces is going to be for you. This is the prophecy that was given to him. But also if you notice you know, in 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 33, you have the reason why this prophecy was given. It says, I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Malik, the god of the Ammonites, and have not walked in obedience to me, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my decrees and laws as David Solomon's father did. Now God tells him very clearly, hey, the reason why I'm doing this, the reason why I'm dividing this kingdom is because of Solomon, what he did. What he did, what did he do? He worshipped other gods. So, Jeroboam should have been much more careful, isn't it? Okay, this is what is going to be given to you, but the reason is because Solomon did this. Don't do the same thing again, because if you do the same thing, same punishment would also come to you. God promised him, isn't it, very clearly, you know, that if you will obey, I, if you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me, then God says, I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one that I built for David. So, God's thought was, okay, you know, here is Solomon going astray, two tribes for him, but if this guy is going to be on the right track, his dynasty is also going to be as powerful or I will be true to him just as much as I have given my word to David. But sad to say, that didn't really happen, isn't it, as we study it this evening. Now, when Solomon got to know about it, I do not know how he got to know about it, whether Jeroboam then went and told Solomon, hey, look here, I'm no longer going to be your servant. One day I'm going to be the king, you know. Or maybe, you know, he got wind of it somehow. The scripture tells us that Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam. 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 40 tells us, Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam fled to Egypt to Shishak the king and stayed there until Solomon's death. Until Solomon's death. Now, if you notice, by the end of uh, Saul's life, he, knowing that God had ordained uh, David to be king, he was after David to kill him. Similarly, now his son, knowing that God has divided the kingdom, knowing that from his lineage it's not going to be there for all the 12 tribes and this is going to be the guy for the majority, 10 tribes. Now he decides to kill him. Now, man tries to do different things to 
thwart the purposes of God. But that does not happen. What God has decided, that is what is going to work out. So he is made king. Now how is he made king? That's also interesting, isn't it? Last time we were together, we learned about Rehoboam. You know, once he becomes king, he listens to the younger people and says, Hey, make life tough for them. You know, show, whom, show them who is boss. Instead of listening to the elders and say, hey, you know, lower the taxes so that they will definitely be responsive. So when Rehoboam responded to the younger friends and made life tough for them, this is where the division happened. And that's what we learned the last time. The division of the, you know, of the kingdom happened because of Rehoboam's decision. So when the Israelites, 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 20 tells us, when all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. So that's how the nation was divided. They send a delegation, this guy refuses, so the majority, 10 tribes, they get together and say, hey, we want you to be our king. By this time, he has heard that Solomon has died, so he gets back from Egypt, you know, looking forward to be king of the United Kingdom, maybe, you know, but God had said 10 kingdoms he will have. So maybe whether he had that in mind, and you know, he decided to uh, form his own uh, kingship, you know. But his fall came in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 28 to 31, we find that the temple was in Jerusalem. Now, he had an issue over here. If the temple is in Jerusalem and people have to go there to worship, then maybe they'll get allegiance to the other king, Rehoboam, rather than stay true here. So he again consulted some people. And 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 28 onwards tells us this. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves he said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Sound familiar? And then in the wilderness, that's what they said, isn't it? This is our God that brought us out of Egypt. Now, God had told him very clearly, if you remain true to me, then I'll ensure that your kingdom will be strong. But now what does he do? He is looking to make sure his position is safe and as a result he thinks you know from his own perspective instead of responding to god's perspective and says hey if i set up some kingdom somewhere now worship over here they won't go there and as a result they will be true to me that was his intention for setting up these uh, uh, corrupted worship as it were so he said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. So he set up one in Bethel and the other in Dan. And the scripture tells us this thing became a sin. And the people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. And verse 31 tells us, Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. It starts off by setting up these shrines. And then, hey, look here, you need people to look after that. So it says anybody and everybody can become a priest. Now, and God has very specifically said only the Levites can be. And then, you know, when people try to, you know, when the Lord sent people 
to warn him of what he was doing, just as much as he warned Solomon, and just as much as he continues to warn us each day. When God's warning comes, we need to be responsive. He tried to persecute God's people who came to tell him that he, what he was doing was wrong. And 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1 onwards, this is what we read. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel, as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. Which altar? This altar that he had made to these gods, these calves. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar, saying, Altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high priests uh, who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign that the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart, and the ashes on it will be poured out. This is the prophecy that this prophet of God says, hey, you're doing wrong. You're setting up these uh, in, uh, idolatrous practices. This is what God says is going to happen. These priests that you have said are priests who are not priests, this is what is going to happen in the future. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar of Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him. Seize who? This prophet. But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. And verse 5 tells us also the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. God wants Jeroboam. God gives him a sign. God says, hey, this is what is going to happen. But what does Jeroboam do? He says, seize the prophet. And then God also stops him short so that his hand shrivels up. Verse 6, then the king said to the man of God, intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. God is gracious. Yes, God's grace is in a... Uh, meets our needs. Yes, you know, God's uh, loving kindness is long, you know, his long suffering, he's patient. Yes, but there's a limit, isn't it? And when God does intervene and God does that miracle, God restores, you know, God gives to us that which we have been asking the Lord. He answers our prayer. It is not because so that we can do whatever we want to. He shows to us through those events, hey, You've done wrong. Get back. Get back. God is gracious. He gives chances. He gives opportunities. But if we still continue to refuse, then one day definitely, you know, punishment will be there. So this is what we read because when God said in 1 Kings 11:38, if you do whatever I command you, walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes you know, then I will be with you then I will build a dynasty but if you don't then that won't happen so let's learn from Jeroboam's life to make sure yes we have the grace of God but never never let us presume on God's grace and do whatever we want to do the new year has come in let it be a new year of restoration. Let it be a new year of new beginnings. Let the past be past. Let us press on into the future in what God has in store 
for us. So who was Jeroboam? A couple of important facts about him. He was from the tribe of Ephraim. The tribe of Ephraim descended from Joseph's son by the same name. He was one of Solomon's officials. If you notice, we learned about that in 1 Kings chapter 11. Solomon, if you notice, had laborers build terraces in Jerusalem and fill a gap in the wall. And Jeroboam was one among them. He was just a laborer. He was just a worker. You know? In 1 Kings 11:28, we read Solomon saw how well the young man did his work. So he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the tribes of Joseph. So looking at this guy, he said he's a good, good worker. So he gave him a little position of leadership. So the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh would have looked to Jeroboam as a leader and someone who could speak to the king on their behalf. So that's why when uh, uh, Rehoboam decided to do that, the people together would have told Jeroboam, hey, you go take a delegation and speak to him. And that's what he did. And then when the Je Rehoboam refused, Jeroboam then decides to revolt. So Jeroboam re uh, rebelled against the king. That's the first thing that the Bible mentions about Jeroboam is that he rebelled against the king. 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 26. Whether it was the prophetic encounter that he had with the prophet that triggered Jeroboam's rebellion or if Solomon got wind of what was going to happen and then immediately after this prophecy was given Solomon attempted to kill Jeroboam and he fled to Egypt. So the northern kingdoms then after Solomon's death make Jeroboam the king, make Jeroboam the king. <coughs> now God made him king, remember the reason why? Because as a punishment for what Solomon had done. So God made him king in order to draw the Israelites back to himself. But God's dwelling place was in Jerusalem. And the Israelites were accustomed to offering sacrifices there. So what did he do? He decided to make some changes. He made a new capital. Jerusalem was the old capital. He made a new capital. Being from the tribe of Ephraim, Jeroboam naturally sought to rule his kingdom from there. So he fortified the city of Terza in Shechem and he lived there. And then he built up the city of Penuel, which is in the territory belonging to the tribe of Manasseh. Okay, why go to Jerusalem? You know, I want to establish my own capital here. Then he also promoted an idolatry. He had his uh, places of worship as we learned earlier. He made two golden calves, one in Bethel and one in Dan. Bethel was where Jacob once anointed a pillar and made a vow to God. And the Danites had a line of idol-worshipping priests who traced their lineage back to either Moses or Manasseh. So these uh, places, Bethel and Dan, had already deep religious significance to the Israelites. And instead of getting back into, instead of getting them back to God, what he did was he led them astray, away from God. He appointed his own priests who were not Levites, who were not Levites. Now, why did he do that? He appointed his own priests because the 
the uh, priests who were Levites who came from uh, Levi would have remained loyal to Rehoboam who ruled over Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is the capital, temple is there, Levites are there. So naturally they would hold their, owe their allegiance to Rehoboam. Now, so he decided to make his own priests and what? All sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest was consecrated to this high place. You know? And this was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to his downfall. Anybody and everybody cannot be the leader. Okay? God has patterns that are set and we need to fulfill those patterns. God has patterns for worship. Anything does not go. You can't say, after all, we are worshipping God, so it's okay. No, God has a set pattern. They who worship me must worship him in spirit and in truth. Finally, his descendants were wiped out. God had promised him, if he obeyed God, he will have a dynasty as enduring as David's. But that's not what happened. While Jeroboam may have seen his choices as a return to Jewish traditions, they were motivated primarily by his desire to retain power and that was a deviation from what God had commanded. And speaking to Jeroboam's wife, the prophet Ahijah relays a sharp rebuke from God. This is what the prophet says, I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, but you have not been like my servant David who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. Imagine, what a judgment, what a judgment. You have done more evil than all who have lived before you. And the Lord says, because of this, I'm going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as one burns dung until it is all gone. Dogs will eat those belonging to Jeroboam who die in the city and birds will feed on those who die in the country. The Lord has spoken. What a tragedy. What an ending. What a judgment. The scripture tells us the moment his wife set foot in the city of Tirzah, which was the capital of the northern kingdom, her son died. And years later, Jeroboam's son Nadab became king. And Basha, you know, tried to, uh, and Basha, who was the son of a different you know, man named Ahijah, killed him, claimed the throne and wiped out Jeroboam's entire family. That's what we read in 1 Kings chapter 15. Sad ending. Started with a lot of promise to say, hey, you'll have this kingdom, 10 tribes, follow after me. But he refused. How will our ending be? Maybe you have started your Christian life with a lot of promise, with a lot of anticipation. Maybe you have started this new year with a lot of anticipation. How will the ending be? Would the ending be tragic because you have stepped away from God's perfect plan? 
How would you be willing to say, Lord, let your grace lead me? It is your grace that has led me thus far. Let me, presume, let me not presume on your grace, but let your grace continue to lead me each day. If it was not for the grace of God, we would not be alive. Let's uh, not presume on God's grace, but let's, on, let's all hold on to him each day. Finally, we find that Jeroboam's sin led to the Jewish exile. In the same prophecy where Elijah predicts the fall of Jeroboam's house, he also connects Jeroboam's sin to the Assyrian exile that will come centuries later. We read this in 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 14 to 16, which says, The Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who will cut off the family of Jeroboam. Even now this is beginning to happen. And the Lord will strike Israel so that it would be like a reed swaying in the water. He will uproot Israel from his good land that he gave to the ancestors and scatter them beyond the Euphrates River because they aroused the Lord's anger by making Asherah poles. And he will give Israel up because of the sins Jeroboam has committed and has caused Israel to commit. He will give Israel up. We notice in the book of Romans, we read, God gave them up. Yes, there is a time when God gives up. If a person says, I will do whatever I want to do, and I don't you know, mind, and you know, I don't bother, God gives them up. And this is what God prophesied much before, to say, hey, this is what is going to happen. But sad to say, Jeroboam did not listen. And that's the tragic uh, legacy that he left, leaves behind. When 1 Kings 14, 19, we read that you know, he did more evil than every person who lived before him. What a bad, bad legacy, isn't it? I'm sure none of us would want that as a legacy, isn't it? God intended to use King Jeroboam to save his people and lead them back to himself. His reign was supposed to be a course correction for the Jewish people. If he had obeyed God, he would have had a dynasty as enduring as David's. But in his effort to bring the nation back to God, he actually embraced the wrong traditions and replaced the wrong habits. The choices that we make daily is what takes us away. So let's be careful about what we do each day because the choices that we make determines the direction that we take. What are some of the negative things about uh, no, Jeroboam? <coughs> no. As we have learned so far, we find that Jeroboam had a problem. He chose not to walk in obedience, even though he had such an incredible promise that was laid out before him, he decided to walk in a different direction. As the year has started out, God has given us different, different promises. He has gone before us. He prepares the way for us. But we need to walk in his steps. If we choose to walk in a different direction, then the results will be tragic. Jeroboam desecrated the priesthood, made up his own festivals, as we saw that he set up these two temples and of and idolatrous practices. He also made his own priests, which were contrary 
to God's word. He ignored the word of the prophet and continued to sin. God sent prophets to him to warn him, just as much as God told uh, uh, Solomon his error, just as God continues to speak to us when we go astray. But when God speaks to us, we must not ignore. Because if we ignore, we continue to go in the wrong direction and continue to sin. Thirdly, Jeroboam ultimately lost what God had promised him because he refused to walk in obedience to God's commands. He refused to walk in God's commands. Now, what was wrong with the worship of Jeroboam? First of all, we must remember that he did worship. Okay, that's important. But it is not just worshiping, isn't it? Sometimes we say, after all, I go to church every Sunday. Isn't that sufficient? You know, after all, I read my Bible every day. Isn't su is that sufficient? You know? Yes, Jeroboam did worship, but it is not all that matters. He was a man who was involved in religious activity. And in the eyes of a lot of people, that's all that matters, isn't it? For a lot of people, they say, hey, that's a religion, and I'm religious. I did my job. I did my duty. I went to church, you know, maybe every Sunday, maybe a couple of times, you know. I read my Bible maybe every day or maybe a couple of times. I'm doing good. But remember, it is possible to be religious and even to be a leader in religious activity, but still not please God. No, well, not all religious activities are good in the Lord's sight. You know? Even Jesus himself declared that in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. We don't set up you know, what we want to worship and pat ourselves on the back and say, I am worshipping. We must be careful of how and what we are worshipping. Now we must also remember that Jeroboam's worship was very appealing to a lot of people. Yes, it was new, you know, but it was a violation of what God had already mentioned. You know, it was unauthorized and clearly worshipping of idols was against the commandments of God. Now, we must be careful. Even in today's world, there's a lot of things that goes on and says, hey, this is new, this is new. It uh, teases our senses and as a result, a lot of people go around and say, this is worship. Crowds may come for something that is advertised as a worship service, you know, because you have a lot of things that appeal to the senses. Oftentimes, if you attend some of the services, you may wonder whether you are at a, some event, some entertainment, you know, but nothing very anywhere close to what the early New Testament church was, where they met together, shared together, and the people saw that Christ was in them. Now, it may be new, it may appeal to your senses, but don't run after that. We must not seek after that which is new, but only that which is according to what the scripture teaches us. His worship was also convenient. You know. God chose Jerusalem as the place where he wanted his people to assemble to worship him. God gave only one choice, Jerusalem. People today decide on convenience, isn't it? If you notice during the pandemic when everything went online and when post-pandemic and everything became open, people still wanted to sit at home. Something that is convenient. Why do I have to travel to go all the way to worship? You know? Or they said, you know, let me go to the closest place around. 
not necessarily something that is uh, you know, teaching the scripture grounded in God's word or worshipping God as God has mentioned in his word. Something that is close by just so that I can say that I have done my duty. Now that is what convenience is all about. Now, Jeroboam's worship was convenient to people you know, and as a result it was very popular. People liked it. You know. And we must remember that Satan's ways are always popular. And as soon as Jeroboam established his new worship, people began to go to Dan and Bethel. Now, I'm sure there would have been crowds in Dan and Bethel. You know. Maybe you know, uh, in comparison to Jerusalem, maybe it may have been more because there were more people this side. You know. And people would have said, hey, this is so popular, this is so popular. But just because it's popular, it does not make it right. Today, people gauge on the basis of numbers, isn't it? Such a large following, large crowd. So it must be from God. No, no, no. Just because something is popular, don't be fooled to think that it is right. Fourthly, Jeroboam's worship allowed more people to be involved as priests. God had very clearly said that only men from the tribe of Levi and specifically those who were the descendants of Aaron could serve as priests. You know. But what did he do? He said, anybody, you know, anybody can become a priest. Now, if you notice in the New Testament, Paul writing to different churches has set rules and uh, stipulations and uh, requirements for elders in the church. Very few people would follow that, isn't it? Oftentimes, you know, you have elections that decide who will be the elder, not on the basis of criteria of what God's word says. You know. We must be careful. Let's not you know, say, oh, we need more people, we need this person is very influential, he is able to draw more people or draw more funds, you know, so let's make a part of the you know, leadership. No, we must be careful to check up what does God's word says. Who can be a leader in the church? God has very clearly set it up, isn't it, in the New Testament church. <laughs> we must be willing to follow that. <coughs> so his worship... <coughs> was definitely unauthorized by God. God had clearly said, don't do it. But he said, no, I want to do it. Why did he do it? Because he had the wrong motive. His motive was not to worship. His motive was to make his position secure. We must be careful. Large numbers, what is the motive? Is the motive to build God's kingdom? Is the motive to build your own kingdom? You know, and if your motive is to build the wrong kingdom, not God's kingdom, that is definitely going to fall. And that leads to, uh, what shall we say, different doctrines or different things that will please the people, worshiping other idols. Now today, you may not set up golden calves, you know, but when we use wrong methods wrong priesthood, wrong feast, uh, even wrong altars, you're worshipping the wrong object. You know. Question you must ask ourselves is, would it be worth it to pervert the worship of the church like Jeroboam perverted the worship in Israel?
Definitely not, isn't it? So let's determine in our hearts that regardless of what others say or do, we will ensure to do what the scriptures say and stand firm on what God's word says. So what lessons can we learn from Jeroboam? Number one, weak and insecure leaders sow division. Whether it was Rehoboam or Jeroboam, you know, Rehoboam, weak, insecure, what did he do? He consulted his younger people and said, hey, make things tough for them. Then your position will be secure. What did Jeroboam do? He said, okay, he consulted and he said, hey, if these guys go to Jerusalem, then you would lose your position and authority. So set up your own temples over here, two temples, in fact, so that they have more opportunities, you know. And if you are weak and insecure, that is going to bring you down. Insecure leaders, too focused on their power and influence, often neglect the needs of the people they are called to lead, causing even more divisions. Whether it's in the church, whether it's in the world today, this is a simple principle. If you are insecure, you are too focused on your power, your influence, you often neglect the needs of the people you are called to lead. Remember, a minister is one who serves. A minister is not one who lords over you. God has called the leaders of today to be individuals who serve. But oftentimes, if you are insecure in your leadership, then you are not willing to serve the people. Classic example, John chapter 13, if you notice, you know, people have come into the another the table with their feet still dirty nobody has washed the feet of the one another as disciples let alone the the feet of jesus jesus spots that and then the scripture tells us jesus knowing who he was took the basin of water poured it and washed the feet of the disciples knowing who he was he was not insecure you know he knew that washing the feet of his disciples is not going to pull him down from his deity knowing who you was you know and that is the key if you are insecure in your leadership you want to hold on to your position you know you want to put people down do different different laws so that your position is secure and that's what we learn both from Rehoboam as well as from Jeroboam if God has put you in a position of leadership don't think you are the boss God has put you there to serve the people God made Jeroboam king so that he would serve the people and bring them back to God. But it is so sad. When people are involved at grassroots level, they serve the people. But as soon as they get to the topmost position, they become the bosses and oppress the people. Sad thing, but that's the reality and that's the lesson that we learn from Jeroboam. Number two, those afraid to lose power will often overreach to try and keep it. They will often overreach. Both Rehoboam and Jeroboam showed signs of insecurity and weakness during their respective reigns. However, Jeroboam's fear that he might lose power if the northern kingdoms returned to Jerusalem to worship led him to overstep and implement a bad policy to try and secure power that was never his to believe to begin with. Those who believe that their crown and power are theirs are more likely to overstep or fight tooth and nail to keep it. But, on the other hand, those who recognize that all power and authority come from above, 
they are more inclined to submit to God's way of doing things, not their agenda or their own uh, 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 desires. So let's hold power loosely in our hands. Let's not hold on. As the scripture tells us, if you hold on, you would lose it. As you are willing to give it up and serve the people, the Lord is the one who keeps you faithful. Thirdly, leaders set the example others will follow. Leaders set the example of what others will follow. Jeroboam set up high places of worship at Dan and Bethel. And as a result, idolatrous practices came right through the nation of Israel. Later kings would implement far worse forms of pagan worship than even Jeroboam. But the precedent had been set. How? Because of Jeroboam. Jeroboam was not the spiritual leader that Israel needed. And as a result, everything went downhill. Fourthly, bad leaders reap what they sow. Those who seized power by the sword will often die by the sword. Those who use violence and treachery to gain power were often the victims of violence and treachery at the hands of those who crave power for themselves. There's a simple lesson that we learn from history. Individuals who trampled on others to climb up to the top, something happens, there's an overthrow and they are definitely trampled down as well. Bad leaders reap what they sow. But what is important in all this is that God is sovereign over all kings and earthly leaders. When we look around at the world today and look at leadership in the world today and look at chaos in the world today, not every king or leader or earthly ruler acts in accordance with God's will, isn't it? We hope and wish, you know, that the leaders of our nations of today will follow biblical principles. But no, that's not happening. That's not happening, you know. But God is the one who is sovereign over all. He often moves in the hearts of kings and uses earthly rulers to do his work and accomplishes plans, even the non-believing kings, you know. Some of, sometimes these plans may involve judgment, other times they would involve blessings. But as the scripture tells us in Romans 13, 1, there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And like all kings and rulers, Jeroboam was established by God. He was used by God and he was also removed by God just as quickly. Now this is something that we must remember. We <laughs> look around at the chaos and say, how long, Lord? Okay, God has given them a time. Just as quickly they have come up, God can also remove them if they are not responsive to God's plans. And similarly, even in our own lives, let's ensure as we have started this year, that as we look forward into the future for this year, all that God has in store for us, the good things that God has in store for us. Yes, He is sovereign, but He wants us to be individuals who are pliable in His hands, who are able to do that which His heart is well pleased with. And if that's our heart's desire, then at the end of this year, we'll be able to say, hey, that was a good year. 
And that's my prayer for each one of us this you know, evening as we come to a close of this study. Let's learn from Jeroboam. Great promise ended up tragic. Let that not be said of us. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.